Before we get to this week's Game of Thrones rewatch, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are friends over at True Car because they've got some useful tips that you might not be aware of, like how a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean the interior of your car. Probably would work well on a sword, I would imagine. Also, you could remove the excess weight from your car to improve its gas mileage, and you could also place a keychain remote right underneath your chin to increase its range. Those are weird tips. Here's something that's not so weird about how True Car can help you save on a used car as well. That's right. True Car is not just for buying a new car. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory, nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, you can see what other people paid so you'll know if you're getting a good deal before you buy. And you're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience when you connect with a True Car certified dealer. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we are just getting started on the Game of Thrones rewatch for season four, episode three, Breaker of Chains. And now here are the two guys. We're about to kick off the post Joffrey era. I am Rob Sisterino here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm doing great, but we will not kick off the post Joffrey era without one last lingering look at his stupid dead face. <laughs> You Just like, love the Joffrey dead face. I had gone back and I was listening yes. to the original podcast that we did back on Easter Sunday of 2014. No uh, resurrection. 20, 2014. Yes. Light them up. You were still you were gushing then about Joffrey's dead purple face. It was great. Four years it was, running. It's never stopped. From the moment that it happened until today, I'm, I, any, anytime I see it, I'm just like, yes. Oh, God. I, I just, I, I remain satisfied. Very, very satisfied with how that all played out. Fantastic. Iconic image. Iconic image. <laughs> A lot going on here in uh, the third episode of season four as uh, things start to come into focus with the trial of Tyrion and much more to get into. We had a... Uh, unanticipated uh, delay last week where we did not get an episode out, but thank you guys for your patience in waiting for this episode and uh, not freaking out too much. No, entirely my fault. I apologize for that. I was uh, sidelined because I couldn't stop laughing gleefully over the death of Joffrey, and I just wasn't prepared Wasn't prepared to podcast quite yet. I needed a week in between. My laughing fit has since subsided. I'm ready to go. Okay, yeah, I got some messages from people like, hey, what's going on? Did I miss it? No, you're good. Uh, one extra week off in between. Uh, yeah. More in the loss of Joffrey. Yeah, and just just for future reference, anytime that happens, uh, just know it's never Rob's fault. It's it's my fault. Rob's like a mature, responsible podcaster, and I'm you know I'm I'm the asshole who who shakes it up every once in a while. So completely on me. You yeah. blame your, send your your hateful DMs in my direction. Except my DMs are closed, so that's not possible. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay. So. Josh, I guess where should we begin our conversation of on Joffrey's on? dead face? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we well, let's you know what uh, we end up with uh, a little bit of the reveal of what ultimately happened to Joffrey in uh, the beginning of the episode, and um, we see a little bit of a reset of dead Joffrey from last week, and then Sansa ends up running away. We see. Sir Dantos uh, trying to escort her out of the city. Uh, we see Tywin uh, wants to shut down the harbor. No ships are leaving. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Is it the least realistic thing that has ever happened on Game of Thrones that Sir Dantos and Sansa are within earshot as as Tywin is giving that order to shut down the city? Nobody leaves, and yet they are still able to leave. Like Dantos is a drunken fool; it's not exactly in like you know tip top toes night fighting shape anymore. And you know, and Sansa is immediately like the most wanted person in all of King's Landing, and they are right there when Tywin gives that order, and yet they still made it out of the out of the harbor. 
You know, I, it didn't really bother me too much. I would imagine that uh, based on the logistics of what I know of King's Landing and uh, the Sept of Baylor, I think that's already pretty close to the water. And I think there was probably a lot of confusion based on everything that was going on. I think that probably most of the security was probably like at the perimeter. Of it's all downhill yeah. anyway, right? So, you know, you know, and maybe he sort of like a new that like he had worked out the exit strategy a couple times uh sir dantos like little finger left nothing to chance maybe there was a couple of guards that might have been paid off to look the other way that might have been along the post that uh sir dantos was going to run past so i it, i don't find it incredulous do you think those guards have since eaten crossbow bolts to the face because uh crossbow bolt buys you silence forever Perhaps, perhaps. I think you have to kill all of the accomplices in any sort of assassination plot. That is it's very standard in every movie and TV show I've ever seen. So Littlefinger's back, though. This is great. We haven't seen Littlefinger in getting close to a full season at this point. I think the last time we saw him was The Climb season three, uh, when he gives that big speech and he's going off to, to consult with Lysa Aaron and we don't know exactly what he's going off to do. And then he shows up back here and very quickly reveals himself to Sansa as the person who has, um, who has at least been like the co-architect of, of whatever is going on here with Joffrey. Yeah, in the real time of this, you and I were sort of like dancing around it because it was not quite revealed, but there was a lot of websites that were sort of saying like, hey, did you see this thing that happened on Game of Thrones? And it really is very, very subtle in the show, the sleight of hand that Lady Olena ends up pulling off. Do you feel like that the show gives us enough here to put all those pieces together if you did not go to a website that explains it? Not about the necklace, no. I don't think so. I think like the necklace and, and what Littlefinger does here when he like smashes one of the gems and it's just like costume jewelry, basically. Um, I feel like that's enough to let you know that Littlefinger hired Dantos to be somebody who was going to protect Sansa, but not enough to let you know that the necklace was like the source of the poison for Joffrey. I think that the show still wants there to be enough lingering suspicion that you're not entirely sure who the co-collaborator is. But I think the fact that Littlefinger is showing up in this moment is enough information to let you know that he at the very like lightest was uh, aware of the plan if not somebody who um, co-authored the plan mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think just the fact that he's here to scoop up Sansa in this moment in like this very inconspicuous way where he is you know he's in the middle of like the misty water waiting for her and like telling Dantas not to talk to people already knows about Joffrey's murder at this point how else is he going to know about it when he's this far removed since it's literally just happened. So I think you have enough information that Littlefinger is part of it, but I don't think that you have enough to know about like the Queen of Thorns or anybody involved otherwise. Right, and we will cut from Littlefinger telling Sansa that we're going to sail for home. Uh, It's not really going to be her home, but uh, they're going to head off to the Eerie here in the uh, later half of season four. But we're going to cut to Lady Elena and Marjorie. Marjorie talking about how horrible it was and lady elena says well it would have been worse if he lived it would have been worse if he lived yeah that's probably true um although i mean who knows who knows like how things would have gone if joffrey survived his wedding day uh certainly in terms of marjorie's marriage and her relationship she is going to find herself wedded to the more docile of the baratheons but also the fact that one of her children has been killed and that another one is going to be killed not terribly long from now and then the third is going to kill himself uh i Cersei's Cersei's turned up, you Mm -hmm. know, and like, I don't know if Cersei is coming after Marjorie quite as harshly as she is if Joffrey is still around, though he himself was kind of a ticking time bomb. So it's hard to say. It's hard to say what the alternate future would have looked like if Joffrey had not been killed. Yeah. And this is really going to be the first time that Tommen is going to be in the spotlight where we're going. Not the first time Dean Charles Chapman will have been on the show. Right. Uh, (laughs) We mentioned it him earlier was he martin lannister i think that's right yeah uh, marty yes. <laughs> marty has returned he's back he's back yeah it's your brother there's something <laughs> wrong with him he's in the seat yes yes he's yeah. dead so 
We're going to see Cersei and Tommen. They are in the sept. Uh, Tywin is there. Tywin Lannister is really fantastic in this scene as he is putting Tommen through the paces as he is interning to be the king. Yes. How do you measure a pace? It's a great question. Uh, but in the case of Tywin, he's like trying to, he's trying to walk Tommen through this where he's like, I think you're going to be a great king. You're going to be a really good king. You've got a good temperament for it, but what makes a good king? And they like kind of go through this, uh, this three pronged, um, you know, conversation about it. like holiness. Yeah, that's good. Good to be holy. Good to be pious. Tywin gives an example about Is Baylor it, the Blessed. Um, a good haircut? Well, yeah. <laughs> a good haircut is is important, but <laughs> is it free hot dogs on Thursdays? Well, <laughs> hot dogs are good. <laughs> Ronald the Pious had hot dogs every day, but Ronald, uh, he died of an early heart attack. So, Ronald the yes, King Oscar of Meyer. Uh, yeah, uh, but none of these things are are going to do the trick. <laughs> yes, not not quite. Yes, yeah. and so finally, wisdom. Yes, that's what makes a good king. Yeah, wisdom is the key. Uh, I mean, Tommen, uh, really handles his father just getting like, uh, completely shaded by, by Tywin pretty well, right? When yeah. Tywin's like, your dad was awful. He sucked. He was very strong, but he was a man whore like Mike Bloom. <laughs> and he, he died from hunting and drinking. Mm, and like, Tommen like kind of doesn't even bat an eye. He's just like, Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Sweet little Tom and so innocent. Yeah. And Tywin is saying, yeah, so your brother, he wasn't wise. Uh, that uh, I mean, do you know anything or are you a stupid little baby? And he's like, well, I guess I'm a stupid little baby. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a stu- stupid baby for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I love that we're in the, you know, we've gone from like wicked little boy king to stupid little baby king. I definitely love stupid little baby king. He's not quite as spicy as Joffrey, but King Tom and he brings his own flavor to the yeah. show. And so Tywin is going to escort him out and they start to even get into the you know uh line like the mockingbirds yeah. and the bees yeah the birds and the bees and uh <laughs> bringing a baby into this world and Simon's like oh and you know how that works right like well well like, I'll kinda, explain. I it's, really get it. quite, it's really quite yeah, straightforward it's, it's all relatively straightforward yeah Simon's <laughs> like oh god yeah oh man oh geez Tywin I don't know yeah he's just like he's he he has a a lot of uh, a lot of road ahead of him uh, and where he's going that is something yeah. that uh, we don't need w- King's Road one interesting thing though in that questioning between Tywin and Tommen that the first thing that Tywin throws out there when Tywin asks hey uh what does it take to be a good king he says oh holiness uh, which is going to be very interesting considering right. how Tommen is really undone when we get into everything with the High Sparrow. But that, that holiness uh, really spoke to him. That was the first thing that he guessed. I feel like all of these things smoke him, which is great. Like, I think that the, this, this being the first scene, or at least the first major scene with Dean Charles Chapman, at least as Tommen, um, you know, so much, so much connects back, knowing where his arc is going. Um, you know, he's standing in the Sept of Baylor, which is not where he will be when he dies, but it will be certainly what he is looking at, uh, and will, will galvanize his decision to take his own life when this, when this thing is uh, coming down. Um, so I think that's incredible. Yeah, you're right. Like holiness, he's going to be very connected to the high sparrow and everything that's going on there. He's going to be very serious about justice and like not knowing what the justice. right thing to do is. Yeah. <laughs> justice. You know, he's just not going to know exactly what to do there. He's going to try like his show of strength when he's like going to roll up to the high sparrow and that's not really going to work. I think it's fairly safe to say that the wisdom aspect isn't so great as well because maybe if he'd listened to Tywin, that could have worked out. But Tywin's not going to be long for this world. And the person that he is going to be listening to uh, will actually be many. Like, he's not going to know who to listen to. There's Cersei who has her own agenda. Marjorie has her own agenda. The High Sparrow has his own agenda. And Tywin's not even going to know how to listen to himself. So all of this, all of this is going to come undone for poor Tywin. Okay. Here comes Stupid Jamie little baby Lannister. boy. Ah, uh, yeah. To ruin the scene. <laughs> <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Uh, no. So this is a, uh, 
a bad scene. Problematic spot for Game of Thrones. And uh, real in the four years since this episode, (laughs) perhaps aged even worse. Worse. Poorly. Very bad. The initial reactions were because this was a, a big thing, even in the moment where Jamie comes in and, and he and Cersei have not really been on the same page. Uh, Cersei starts off by talking about how, you know, you have to avenge Tyrion or, you know, avenge the death of Joffrey, go after right. Tyrion. Right. And uh, he says, there'll be a trial. She's like, no, he will squirm his way to freedom, which is, you know, she's right about that. Yeah, she's right. She called a shot. Yeah. And so we have to, he was our son. You have to take care of Tyrion. He said that my joy would turn to ashes in my mouth right and uh man cersei with the long memory not that this yeah. is a surprise but like she, she's got that quote verbatim i guess if somebody said that to you you would probably remember it it does feel like the type of story that i think would just like take root in you like yeah that's Wait, a very specific thing yeah. <laughs> like joy is gonna turn to ashes in my mouth that is hyper specific yes uh, like he really gave some thought into that zing and if not man you should be a writer. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we see that Jamie is going to force himself onto Cersei and uh, that she is going to say, no, no, stop it. It's not right. It's not right. Repeatedly. Ja- and he's repeatedly going to say, I don't care. Yeah. And Jamie will Jamie will not stop. And this was a, a scene where this was a issue uh, not unlike Joffrey, uh, which uh, turned out to be quite the bastard where yeah. it was like nobody c- quite could explain what the hell this was supposed to be. Yeah, like all the people involved in the making of the scene were all like, no, 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 we didn't mean for it to come across that way. Like the director's like, oh, that's not like how we meant to shoot it. And Nikolai Klosterwalder was like, that's definitely not how we meant to shoot it. And I don't remember what Lena Headey said about it. Uh, but like, I remember very vividly at the time, everyone being like, uh, that was really awful and rapey. Why did that just happen? Uh, and just there never being a great explanation for it. But like going back to it, like, how could you have watched this and thought that anything else was happening? Mm-hmm. It is, it is so unequivocally bad. Yes. And like, it, you know, it's, it's one thing if that's the scene by design, but it's never really followed up on in that way. Or the show never really ever wants to, to pit you against Jamie Lannister for doing something so awful. If that was something that was intended. Um, but then like you get the sense that they didn't mean for it to come across that way because Jamie never gets any kind of like, you know, comeuppance over over a scene like this. And like the way it's edited, the music like takes a really sinister turn. And to me, watching it back, what was amazing was if they had just like stopped it before uh, like she, you know, like she and Jamie like have like one kiss like after like they, they hug and talk about the baby boy and like the scene ends there no harm, no foul. And then the scene keeps going. And I was just sitting here watching again being like, no right this is also awful and like the first of what will be a few severe misfires with jamie lannister i think (laughs) right and how this plays out differently in the books correct correct yeah i i I honestly am so far from it at this point that i that i don't even remember anymore i don't Mm -hmm. remember this scene being in the book somebody who has a fresher memory of it can can pipe in um but yeah like I, i don't remember Jamie forcing Cersei to, you know, have right. sex with him in this moment. Him for this in, in any way, right? Uh, never, right. As far as I comes recall, up yeah. again in the show, it's just like, wait, what? What is this? Because if you are still a viewer on that night or today, you're saying, wait, what the hell is this? Right, Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Yeah, like, what are you doing, man? Uh, all of it is so awful. And I mean, like, you know, there is, um, you know, Cersei is gonna be pretty severe towards Jamie later on in the show. And if you wanna, like, headcanon it, that part of it is from, like, a, an awful event like this, you could go ahead and do that, I guess. But, like, the show never really gives you anything, as far as I can remember, uh, that really, you know, takes Jamie to task for what happens here. But it's an awful scene. Easily the worst scene of the episode, uh, one of the very worst scenes of Game of Thrones, and that's like largely because it's just so ill-conceived. Like yeah. it's just it's so thoughtless. It's just such a thoughtless, 
stupid, unnecessary scene that really shines a light on uh, the people who are making this show having no clue what they're doing every once in a while. Even on Game of Thrones, that is a thing that can happen. Okay. Arya with the Hound. And this is something that did not seem super important at the time. You know, good character stuff with Arya and the Hound. But this is a thing that we will end up revisiting in Season 7, where Arya and the Hound are going to end up running into a dad and a daughter, a farmer. Who uh, apparently uh, Sally makes a mean rabbit stew, <laughs> yeah. uh, like like so, her mom. Yeah, it's like her mom used to make. So the the rabbit stew, uh, who knew? Chekhov's rabbit stew is uh, is on. Uh, it's simmering right now. But you're right. So this farmer and his daughter, uh, you think are just like a one off set of characters here, uh, but they're gonna they're gonna return down the line. Yeah, they'll be dead, but they'll be back. So there is a long scene where the farmer is praying and the hound is getting impatient. You know, there, there's some comedy that comes out of all of this. And so the farmer wants to hire the hound for uh, fair pay for fair work. Fair pay for fair work. Yeah, the hound seems uh, like he is he is happy about this. Uh, there is some silver that this farmer has hidden away because he's afraid of the bandits that are showing up and trying to steal his stuff. And he will give the hound some silver if the hound protects him. And uh, you never you never tell anywhere where you're hiding your silver or that you have hidden silver at all. That's a mistake. Right. And instead, the hound ends up robbing this guy and uh, assaulting him and running off with the silver. Right. And Arya is mad about this and says, like, you're literally the worst. You are the worst shit in the Seven Kingdoms. And the hound. Yeah, worse than me. I just understand the way things are. How many Starks do they need to behead before you figure it out? And like, come on, man. That's a that's a that's a really low blow at this point. It's a low blow. And the hound, you know, he uh, says, you look, a dead man needs no silver. He'll be dead by winter. And we're like, hound, you're a real piece of work. You know, you have no faith in anybody. But he's right. Yeah, he is. He's right. When when the show returns to the to the farmer and poor Sally, they're dead and it's winter. So they're definitely dead by winter. And they starve to death. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Not enough stew. Not enough. Especially because, like, the hound was, like, wasting some of that stew. You know, not to, <laughs> yeah, he's spilling it. Not to, like, get too technical, but, like, he's just, like, for a hungry guy, he's just, like, spilling it all over the place. But in the worldview of Game of Thrones, what should the farmer have been doing? I mean, should he have been working on his swordsmanship so that he could go out and pillage the uh, riverlands? I mean, what, what should he and his daughter have been doing? Should they have fleed uh, the entire area before winter had come? I don't think that there was much that they could have done. I it think the already. Yeah, I, well, I think that the worldview of Game of Thrones, the takeaway from this for me, especially knowing where the hound goes from here, it's not that the farmer and the daughter should have done anything differently necessarily. It's that the hound should have been kinder. It's that the hound shouldn't have been such a cruel son of a, you know what? Like he should have been, um, he should have taken the deal, you know, fair pay for fair wages and just be a good guy. Um, and obviously circumstances being what they are, he's got other plans in mind. He thinks he's got more money and another briefcase so he's going for that um but the hound is really going to come to regret the way that he has acted in his life and when he returns to this moment in season seven um and comes to this place and sees that his prediction was right and that they're dead and they're probably dead at least in part because he stole from them he left them defenseless he may have like even like injured the farmer who knows um that these these people's deaths they're they're on his you know that's on him it's on his conscience like add that to the body pile yeah. And I think that like the, the worldview of Game of Thrones is like it's not like, you know, this is just the, the way of the world and people, you know, people die and people suffer or you toughen up and you you go out there and you get them. I think that the, the overall message of Game of Thrones is that like 
system's broken, the wrong people are in power, the people who know what to do with power that like would be great in, in those positions of leadership either get killed off because they're too trusting and not pragmatic enough or because of, you know, whatever reason, but the world needs more people like who the hound is on the way to becoming. Uh, I think that that is more the message and it's less about the farmer should have done something different. I think the farmer, you know, he was, he had a, he had a tough deal, tough, tough lot, hard to, hard to say what the farmer could have done that really would have improved his chances. I think the world needs more farmers and less nasty the hound. <laughs> that being said, I, I don't know if maybe they would have had like another week or two with the silver. <laughs> that they, like, right. I, I don't think that that's going to change. Their Who knows? Destiny. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they can hire. Uh, maybe they can like last long enough to run into the brotherhood without banners. Who knows? Right. Okay. So back at the wall, uh, we're seeing now what life is like for Sam and Gilly now that Gilly is at the wall. And first off, there's a lot of mocking, some would say bullying of Sam, uh, allegedly Sam the Slayer. Yeah, no one wants to buy the story that Sam killed the White Walker. Everyone thinks he's a liar. Yeah. And Josh, I found Sam to be super craven in this episode. I thought this was a real bad episode for Sam. Just a a bad look where Gilly is there and he's like insanely jealous that all of the men of the Night's Watch want Gilly and that there is going to be a hundred men here at the Night's Watch that are going to be, you know, thinking about her in the night. Like, it'd be one thing if Sam's concern was, hey, the wildlings are marching on the wall. Mance Raider is coming. I got to get you out of here. But it's really like, oh, well, I don't want anybody, uh, you know, any of these guys talking to you, Gilly. I think he's worried about what they're going to do beyond talking. Well, uh, but, but, but Senator <laughs> Molstown seems like, uh, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire. I think he, I think it's a poor decision. I think it's a poor decision. I don't, again, like I think he's in a spot like the farmer where there aren't a lot of great options because she's really not supposed to be at Castle Black based on the Night's Watch's rules. So her staying here is only going to be tolerated for so long. But Molestown seems like a real pit. You know, and I'm not talking about the one with the bear in it. Mm-hmm. Like this seems, this seems like a bad place for for uh, you know a young young anybody to to be, let alone you know single mother Gilly who's never been south of the wall. Uh, so yeah, not a, not a great look for Sam. You'd think that like since both options are really bad, at least take the option where like you've got eyes on Gilly and can protect her directly or help protect her. And John Snow and even yeah. and Maester Amon. The whole thing sucks. This is a bad, it's a bad situation, but you know, he's, he definitely, uh, like, he's like, Oh, Gilly, don't be mad that I'm doing this. And she's like, Oh, well, you know, well, I'm going to be mad and you're going to have to deal with it. And he's mm-hmm. like, Oh, man. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Okay. We see Stannis and Davos. Stannis is holding up the Dragonstone Daily. Say, uh, you, oh, you see this? See this headline? Joffrey, yeah. the usurper is dead. I did I that. I did it. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I killed him. And I would have killed more of him if you hadn't gotten rid of the dude who was going to get his, his penis leeched. Mm-hmm. You really blew it, Davos. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so he says clock's ticking uh, on, on Davos. <laughs> we need soldiers. And yeah. Davos says, uh, well, maybe we need to look to the east. Maybe we can bring in the Golden Company. Ah, that golden company, Rob. We're gonna, we're gonna very likely see some of those golden company folks in the final season of Game of Thrones because they were mentioned by Cersei in season seven that she wants to hire the golden company and bring them in and have them be the crew, the wrecking crew that's gonna work for King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And they've never broken a contract. They're very reliable. They're very good at their jobs. So. Keep an eye out. Golden Company. Okay. It's happening. Stannis is not super warm to the idea of sellswords, but Davos says, look, uh, look, we, we need, we need soldiers that we, that we can't take over the seven kingdoms with magic. And, uh, Stannis says, look, the problem is we don't have any golds. We can't pay them. Yeah. Yeah. What are we going to pay him? And it's not going to be enough to lean on House Peasberry <laughs> or, 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 or hay. Sorry, George R. R. Martin really phoning it in there. He could have just gone with House Hello. <laughs> yeah, they have like the dinkiest house names that have pledged allegiance to Stannis. Yeah, House Peasberry. 
And it's like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> At least it's not poo cherry. That would be worst. Yes. Uh. So we end up with Davos paying a visit to Shireen, who has been giving him some uh, reading and writing lessons. And uh, she is uh, really on his case about his pronunciation. And also that like he's just not been sticking to the program enough. Like he's a bad student, it seems like. Yeah. And he explains the difference between being a pirate and being a smuggler. But ultimately, that this is all just a setup for Davos to have his eureka moment of the Iron Bank of Bravos. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Snore. Yeah. S- snoring. It's like, well, yeah, we need money. Oh, yeah. There's only one bank in the entire Westeros and Essos. And it's the Iron Bank of Bravos. And we really need something to do this season. <laughs> yeah. Shireen, get a pen. Write this down. Yeah. Write it down. Okay. Yeah. And dear okay. Iron Bank of Bravos, to yeah. whomever it may concern. This Are you busy this season? <laughs> I need a loan. <laughs> and a story. I need all your gold. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, that's going to be it for, uh, for Davos. Okay. Uh, we see Sam dropping off Gilly in Molestown. Yeah, and we know that there's wildlings south of the wall, and they're going to come after Molestown at some point. So Sam really putting uh, Gilly unnecessarily in the line of fire here. That's the other thing, too. It's like, at this point, you got to know. And especially they're going to get like the communique about what happens to Ollie's uh, family and everything like mm-hmm. that. At that point, like Sam, like you go to Molestown and you, you bring Gilly back here. Like that, like, come on. The whole thing is that, uh, that I'd love to know more about the economy of Molestown because for from what we learn in Game of Thrones, it seems to exist only to have a thriving brothel industry from the Night's Watch. I don't know what else is there. That there's Is there a big community that's just outside, off of the wall? Seems like a weird place yeah, to set up shop. Yeah. I think this is like, this is the place you go on your day off at Castle Black, but like, there's a hundred people in the Night's Watch. So, <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't look like they're doing so great, you know, in fairness. Are there a lot of tourists that come to the wall? I know Tyrion did it as a vacation in season one, but can't imagine that Molestown has a ton going on. I don't think the tourism industry is really like the number one draw of Molestown. Yeah. Uh, looks like there's a lot of debauchery going on there. And so, uh, Gilly is going to sort of be like a maid in Molestown. Yeah. And like she's offered another job and Sam's like, nope. No. Absolutely not. No other jobs, please. <laughs> just, just a maid. Like, well, the lady's like, your cut. she could, yeah. <laughs> no. I, I had like, I had like a pretty good job for like, you know, a chef. Yeah. And Gilly yeah. is not really loving it. No, she's not thrilled about this. She's not happy. Okay. Uh, and she's mad at Sam. He says he'll come and visit, but she doesn't want to hear about it. All right. Uh, yeah. We check back in in a, a different pleasure house uh, with Arya San and the Red Viper. Yeah, they're just doing it, you know, mm-hmm. with each other, with other people. Alaria's really doing it with lots of people. Uh, Oliver is really interested in the Red Viper's philosophy about doing it, which the Red Viper is happy to provide that, uh, you know, uh, the gods made this and it delights me. The gods made this smack and it delights me. In war, I fight for dawn. In love, I don't choose sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, here comes Tywin Lannister. And Tywin Lannister is really great here as well. I like when uh, Prince Oberyn uh, offers uh, Lord Tywin a spot on the bed in uh, the Littlefinger brothel. And Tywin's like, no, I'll stand. I'll stand. I'm good. Also, I'm going to burn my shoes when I leave. (laughs) (laughs) All of this is terrible. Yes. And so we end up having a whole conversation with uh, Tywin and the Red Viper and uh, that Tywin is at least poking around, uh, not like the Red Viper is, uh, mm. about how, uh, boy, you showed up and now Joffrey is poison and aren't you a poison expert? That's weird, right? 
Yeah, I think I really think the show needs to um, like at this point, I think because the the trial of Tyrion is going to be such a big part of the season. I think they want and, you know, Tyrion didn't do it. Uh, they just want to have as many suspects on the board as possible. And Oberyn's just a guy we're meeting for the first time. So he qualifies. Um, uh, so th- I, I think that's everything that's going on there. The conversation is great where Oberyn is talking about how, like, I hate your family. And like, you know, are you going to deny that you had involvement in my sister's murder? And Tywin says categorically, uh, and categorically, yeah, that's great. And Tywin is basically going to offer up the mountain in exchange for Oberyn taking a seat on uh, the judge's bench in the upcoming trial, and also he can be a member of the small council. He wants to bring Dorne back into the fold. Yes, it's very important. The three judges that we have that are going to be on the trial of Tyrion Lannister, where. Prince Oberyn, he's like the Randy. Mace Tyrell is definitely the Paula. And then Tywin is definitely the Simon Cowell of this judging panel. I just got traumatized thinking of Randy Jackson going up against the mountain. I don't need to see that. Yeah, I always loved Randy the most. Okay. All right. So, uh, and, and Tywin also says to uh, Prince Oberyn that basically we need Dorne. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, he's like, Daenerys is out there, and I don't talk about it a lot because it really freaks me out, but she's coming, she's got dragons, only Dornish, they were the only ones who survived Aegon the Conqueror, and I don't like it. History's repeating. So, at least it's on his radar. That's appreciated. Did you also like that uh, the Red Viper shouted out McCumber, the the blue-eyed giant? blue-eyed giant, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, some people say the sky is blue because we live in the eye of a blue-eyed giant. McCumber! Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm starting to think that this is now uh, uh, Chekhov's McCumber. Yeah, McCumber! <laughs> yeah, I think so. The The show is going to end with the so camera zooming, zooming, out. Yeah. zooming out, and we are going to be like pulling out of the perspective of Will Forte as McCumber the Giant, and mm-hmm. that will be the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, the one-eyed giant would be great. Yes. Okay, uh, let's check in with Tyrion in jail, and uh, he gets a visit from Pod. Oh, Podrick. The never has a more loyal squire lived than Podrick Payne. That's right. Who is smuggling in duck sausage, almonds, hard cheese. Good stuff. Quills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, no wine. The wine they took, but everything else he was able to, to get through. So Tyrion's going to talk with Pod, get an update on basically everything else that's going on. And he we get to hear him monologue a little bit that he's convinced that Cersei had nothing to do with this. But basically, everybody else is a, a suspect for him. They want Pod to testify against Tyrion. And Pod uh, told them, let me think about it. And Tyrion told Podrick, you do whatever it takes to survive. He's like, what are you doing? Why? SS. Why would you not say yes? You are supposed to say yes. If any like shadowy nefarious figures come up to you and ask you to do anything, just say yes to throw them off your back. And he's very worried that Podrick's going to get killed if he sticks around King's Landing. So he says, you got to get out of here. Got to get out of here before it's too late. And uh, unrelatedly, he will. He will leave here soon. Yeah. And so he's basically, I'm a lost cause. Uh, Save yourself, Podrick. Yes. So Podrick will will take those orders to heart and he will squire for somebody else, even though the person he's squiring for will insist that she is not a knight. Yeah. Now, Josh, is this the last time we see Tyrion and Pod together in uh, seven seasons? So they, you know, they were in the same scene together in the final episode of season seven uh, when everyone shows up at the dragon pit. But there were so many little interactions there that I don't remember exactly how the Tyrion and Podrick interaction goes or if there's a very memorable one. But I'm, I'm sure that there's like at least pleasantries exchanged. So we'll see them together again. It's just gonna be a very long time before we see them together again. Okay. Hey, look who it is. It's Ollie. <laughs> We've been waiting for you, Ollie. Yeah. Uh, yes, the most hated, most hated in the West, Rose. No, now again, that Ollie that went on to really inspire a lot of anger from yours truly. I grew to get a real hate into Ollie, but, you know, in fairness to Ollie, he ends up having, uh, you know, a really traumatic scene here where he's like a happy-go-lucky kid walking with dad and Gaimon. Yeah. Dad ends up taking an arrow, which from Egret 
Yeah. So, uh, it's gonna this, trade that back. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's an interesting note. I did not recall that. I probably would have thought that one of the Thens got his dad. No. Uh, but then, uh, basically the rest of Ollie's village ends up just, uh, getting, I mean, uh, that even Tormund Giants Bane is in on it. You know, all of this wildling contingent, they just completely massacre this village. Yeah, you you know, you think back to this scene and like you kind of get where Ollie was coming from later on, I think, you know, at least yeah. to a degree, to a degree kind of lines up, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, you also got to feel bad for a guy who is the son of Gaimon. It just sounds like a Pokemon. Gaimon, another very strange name here in Game of Thrones. Yeah. And then the, the Magner of Thin is like going to grab him and show him his dead parents and say, hey, these are your parents, right? I'm going to eat them. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to eat your dad and your mom. So go to Castle Black and tell them that. Yeah. And I also feel like the Tormund Giants Bane, who we come to really like, is a pretty bad dude in this scene, as is Egret, just completely slaughtering a bunch of innocents, where Tormund, for the most part, has not done anything of the sort to this point. But this is not everybody's best self. Tormund is a little bit of a problematic character. <laughs> I, I think is fair. There's a few things with Tormund that bear lo- thing. <laughs> yeah, the bear thing's a little weird. The bear thing's a little weird. Uh, this is not great. And then there's like, there's never really like an element of Tormund himself or the show attempting any kind of like contrition on Tormund's part. Like at least with the Hound, like the Hound is like actively on some sort of, if not redemption arc, then at least atonement, right? Like he's actively trying to like do better now than he did before. Tormund doesn't feel bad about anything. Tormund's just Tormund. And I guess there's something to be said for knowing yourself and being true to yourself, but you look back at a scene like this, it's like, ah, that's not, it's not a great look. Right. So the next scene we see is Ollie at Castle Black. And basically he is telling the Night's Watchmen everything that happened and think that the Night's Watch uh, correctly surmise that this is a plan to draw them out into the field. Right. And so another plan is going to emerge where a completely unrelated incident is going to draw the Night's Watch out into the field. So like mission kind of accomplished. Right. It's going to take them somewhere else. But they think that they can get back in time. Uh, we're going to see, hey, everybody, look, it is uh, Del- Ed. It's Ed and it is Gren. And they're back from Craster's where they were captured. Yeah, and they were, they'd been captured there, and they said that Carl, frickin' Carl, he's running things, and John says that we have to go to Craster's and we have to kill the mutineers, because I told Mance Raider that we have a thousand of us, and if Mance Raider's people get to Craster's first and find out that we don't have a thousand, they're just really gonna come for us, that we only have a hundred, uh, so we gotta take care of the mutineers. Also, we need to have a mid-season four action scene, so we need to leave the wall so that we have something to do this season. Right. So do you think that this is believable that Mance Raider is going to end up finding the mutineers and then torturing them until they reveal how many men are at the wall? I don't know. Uh, like, are they going to stop at Craster's on the way down? Like, at this point, I feel like Craster's reputation is fairly reasonably known. Does Mance Raider at this point feel like he needs any further intel on the Night's Watch that he's going to be able to shake loose from Craster? Uh, is like the, the, the benefit of going and taking out the mutineers greater than the risk of everybody getting killed in this needless assignment and then like having no shot on the wall? It really just feels like they need something to do here in season four for these characters. I told Mance Raider <laughs> that every time you go to raid the wall, come by my place, and if anything's wrong, torture the 99. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's my legacy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. The ghost of Craster is going to tell Mance Raider so much anyway. 
Yeah. And uh, who is it? Uh, John, who said, like, look, if every single one of us here kills a hundred wildlings, uh, they're still going to be able to uh, march on Westeros. And uh, Pip says, uh, I don't think I can kill ninety nine wildlings. Why did Pip just become craster? <laughs> it was close to 100. <laughs> Pip said I only kill 100 wildlings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so that'll happen. Sadly, poor there will be no craster. Uh, oh, yeah, poor Pip. Pip's not going to make it. Yeah. Pip's going to die pretty badly. Gren's going to die yeah. pretty badly. Pip's lucky that Sam is around because then uh, Pip becomes pretty tough by comparison to Sam. Like, if, if Sam <laughs> yeah. wasn't around, Pip would be the guy that gets bullied by the Night's Watch. People love Pitt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's like the second worst guy on the Night's Watch. <laughs> well, Oliver just showed up, or Ollie rather. Yeah. And Jano Slint is here. He's pretty awful. I yeah. feel like Pip is like solidly middle of the of the <laughs> Night's Watch power rankings. Low middle. Low middle. Low middle. <laughs> Back row jury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got like blindsided at like the final nine. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's talk about what's going on in Marine. Time for Danny and her forces to show up at Marine. And we are going to have the champion of Marine. Uh, yeah. And like the, the, ha- that day. the house Peasberry shout out. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew what it was foreshadowing? Yes, we we see the Peasberry in action. Yes, so th- that they ch- the the champion of Marine comes out and urinates in front of Daenerys as uh, to antagonize the Unsullied. Who uh, it's never really addressed uh, what their situation is for uh, any sort of voiding. Yeah, that's not entirely clear to us. Um, but their theory, the Miranese theory at the very least is that this is an army of men without men parts. Mm-hmm. And there's something else about a thing that's hiding in another thing that I yeah, wasn't that was fully a, following. That was sort of a crackpot theory that they felt like that Danny, they think that Danny is secretly a man who it could potentially be, uh, in drag. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what their theory is. They're crazy they just, in Marine. They describe some sort of physical action that is evocative of, of uh, man parts, which think, uh, thinking like Buffalo Bill, you know, is like uh, that's where your head goes. Uh, but yeah, so they're 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 you know, they're the taunting the people in the ring. <laughs> sure, sure. Let's leave it there. Uh, but they're like, there's a champion and he's got a lance. He's got a horse and everybody wants to fight this guy. Like everyone's like, oh, this guy is awful. Can we please? He's just like, you know, this guy is like insulting us. And it's, yeah, it's just one guy. But if, if he comes at us and we can't answer back, we're all going to be in big trouble. So Jorah wants to fight him. Grey Worm wants to fight him. Barrison wants to fight him. And Daenerys is like, no, I need all of you. And I like all of you. And Dario's like, eh, but, you know, I could probably do it. I'm, I'm just Dario. And if I die, you could always replace me with a third Dario. So mm-hmm. why don't you send me? Send me in. Yeah. And so this champion of Marine, he goes uh, right into it that he is going to race on a horse towards Dario, who's going to throw a knife through the face of the horse, uh, which, uh, you know, the horse didn't do anything wrong. And then uh, Dario will behead this guy. And then Dario will then uh, produce his own urine stream. Yeah, and this this is one I remember at the time feeling a little salty. I'm sure I talked about it on the podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, Strong Belwaz, a great character from the book who never made it onto this show, who is like this this big, fat, bald warrior uh, who is who who does what Dario does here, except instead of peeing after the battle, he just like takes a dump on the spot. It's like, wow, how are you holding that in the whole time? That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a great character, and this was his spot. And Dario does a, Dario does a good job, but I, I still miss Strong Belvoz. Okay. And then we're going to wheel in the catapults. I don't know where the catapults came from. The trebuchets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Danny's going to give like her really big speech about uh, like talking about what she did with Astapor and Yunkai uh, and how she freed all of the slaves there. And now they are here. They're free and they're with me and you can be with me too. Uh, and then she launches 
barrels filled with chains um, at the uh, at the walls of Meereen to like kind of as like a show of dominance and force. And like, how do you know that you're not just like going to wing somebody mm-hmm. like that you don't want to hurt? This yeah. seems very dangerous. Yeah, I did not recall this moment in terms of the show. I'm like, oh, what are they doing? Are they going to try to, you know, uh, this is when they're going to like try to knock down the harpy statue. What are they doing with these uh, catapults? And, oh, no, they were showing, you know, here's all the uh, dog collars, which I guess, uh, were they, is this what they took off the slaves that they were being crucified on all the road yeah, markers? I, I think that and, and probably, uh, you know, from the people of Astapor and Yunkai and all of that, like these are, you know, this is what they've been chained up with. And so it's symbolic. And we're going to we're going to take these off a few guys as well. And you're going to be free and you're going to be good to join us. But like you're throwing them with such force at that. The, at the walls of yeah at the very least an injury if not outright the the true death so mm-hmm. yeah. dangerous right so uh that people all the slaves in marine said hey this could be me maybe i could take my uh collar off another one of those moments too where the title of the episode gets credited to the daenerys storyline even though so much more of the action was taking place in other storylines like it's like a, it's like the nightlands all over again it's like misa coming in to steal the thunder <laughs> yeah what would you call this episode um peasberry peasberry <laughs> okay and that's that yeah that's the episode yeah so probably like the, the I think pretty easily the weakest of four so far. Yeah. But, you know, we're only we're only three in and the first two were pretty spectacular. Uh, and this wasn't, you know, a bad episode of Game of Thrones. Plenty of great stuff happened, but also some unfortunate things occurred as well. Yeah. OK, so where do we go from here, Josh? What's coming up in episode four of season four? Oh my gosh. So we are, we are moving on into territory that, uh, launched another, uh, tier of podcasting on post show recaps. Once upon a time, the great Terry Schwartz and I, uh, who co-hosted the, the since deceased Game of Thrones book club podcasts. Something crazy is going to happen at the end of this fourth episode of season four that if you were a book reader, when this happened on the show, it just blew your mind. Like it, it totally blew my mind at the end of episode four. Oathbreaker, or is it Oathkeeper? I, I forget which one it is. Oathkeeper. 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 Even though oaths are broken, because uh, the show was like going to leapfrog. Yes, passed so much from the story. So the Night King, who has already made like a quick flash in the pan appearance earlier in the season, is going to have his most prominent appearance yet coming up here in the fourth episode of season four. Some other stuff will happen as well, but that will always be the thing that I remember episode four for the most. Okay. All right. So a lot of stuff to talk about coming up uh, next week, and we should be back on our regular schedule here so we'll be on the lookout for that coming up also uh josh and i are going to talk about some fear of the walking dead as well coming up here the season finale is going to be this sunday night on amc and josh and i have not talked about anything walking dead in a couple of weeks so looking forward to catching up with you sir much to catch up on so much happening in the world of walking dead rumors reports <laughs> and an actual show to discuss uh should be should be fun though i will miss jessica lisa's commentary on the episode yeah so a big finale coming up on fear of the walking dead plus josh wiggler is going to have all of the Westworld coverage how many episodes in the Westworld season 10 uh 10 episodes total and so this past week was seven so we only got three more Westworld is sprinting Flying towards the by. finish line oh. and it's confusing man i'm really trying here i swear but oh god it's, it's a lot to track it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> hopefully we do a good job this week okay follow josh wiggler on Twitter. He is at Round Howard for everything that he's working on for THR and more. I'm at Rob Cisternino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.